This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Two jobs left in the NFL, the Washington Commanders and the Seattle Seahawks. And we've uh, we've heard a bunch of names, a bunch of names thrown out there as possibilities, lots of interviews taking place. But one name in particular everybody's intrigued by is the defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens, Mike McDonald. And here to shed a little light on what kind of guy, what kind of coach Mike McDonald is, is the voice of those Baltimore Ravens. Jerry Sandusky joins us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Jerry, how are you, sir? Bob, Dave, doing great. Uh, despite the heartbreaking uh, outcome of the AFC Championship, happy to visit with you guys. Well, we we appreciate you taking time. I, I would imagine that was a huge bummer. It's not uh, not what anybody expected. I bet on the Ravens to win, like everybody else seemed to, and that just I don't know how do how do you how do you explain what happened? They held them to a touchdown in the first quarter, and then a field goal late in the game. That was uh, for this offense of the Ravens that was pounding good teams throughout the season. That was a bit shocking. Well, if you know, you look at it, it's shocking because the marquee matchup of the two great quarterbacks, two-time MVP Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson likely won his second MVP this year, and they're both so spectacular and such highlight machines. You think this is going to be an offensive shootout, but these were the two lowest-scoring defenses in the NFL, and they both showed up. You know, the Ravens shut out Mahomes in the second half. The Chiefs completely handcuffed. Lamar throughout the course of this game and even though you know this was kind of a classic example of offense sells tickets defense wins championships hey Jerry tell us a little bit about Lamar Jackson we we just you know admire him from afar and just tell us what what kind of a guy he is I I, I feel like he's he seems like a such a good dude and like a, a great leader and everything but you know I, I feel like we don't see everything what do you see behind the scenes traveling with the team and and being the the play-by-play guy on radio I tell you, the word I would use for Lamar is joyful hmm. remember back in the day when you'd watch Magic Johnson bring the ball up court in a playoff game a championship series all the pressure in the world and he's smiling yeah <laughs> that's what Lamar is like Lamar plays with a smile for the most part he's a, he's, he's a guy who just loves playing football he loves playing his style of football and what's really unique is how he has like this natural ability that is magnetic. Guys just gravitate around Lamar. He's not a classic leader in the way you might think of like a Joe Montana or a Ray Lewis, you know, a great speech deliverer, a guy who's going to tell everybody. Like, it's just like, he's just a guy who's having a great time. who loves doing what he does and guys gravitate around that pure energy. And so, you know, that that's you know, much like his skill set is unique. I think his personality is too. Before we ask about Mike McDonald, just uh, one more thought on on the game yesterday. We played a couple cuts, uh, you know, one from uh, Ryan Clark saying he felt like the Ravens had imposter syndrome, that they once they got out there that they felt like maybe they didn't really belong, which I completely don't buy. Uh, and then we had another cut from a member of the of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs who said, well, they were looking past us. They were already preparing for the Super Bowl, which, again, I, I don't buy. The Legereus Need said that. Do you put anything into that? I mean, you're talking about the, the AFC title game. I don't know how you look past anybody, but, you know, imposter syndrome, looking past their opponent, does that any part of that ring true for you? Oh, for 2. Yeah, <laughs> what's the 0-2 delivery you got for me? Because that's <laughs> – no way. Either, no way either one of those happens. Look, the, the, the feeling today is the, is the frustration. There's always frustration after a loss in a championship game, obviously, but the, the frustration that I heard from the players – 
fans, organizationally, is that not just that the Ravens lost the game, it's that they lost without playing their game. They didn't play their game on offense. And it's not because they were looking past Kansas City. It's not because they got out there and started to doubt themselves. I think you got to give a lot of credit to Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, for the game plan he put together in unison with Andy Reid. First half, the Chiefs have the ball 21 minutes, limit the Ravens to nine. They took the air out of the tires. They never let Lamar and the offense get a feel for the game in the first half, and then they forced them to play from behind in the second half, and that was a winning formula for Kansas City. I, I think you have to tip your cap to the way that Andy Reid on the offensive game plan, Steve Spagnolo in the defensive game plan, just kept the Ravens from ever getting into their game. Hey, Jerry, sorry, just one more quick question about yesterday. Um, was that was the no call, the pass interference no call? I had, I don't know, it didn't really affect me when I'm watching the game, um, but, you know, I had a couple of people bring that up. What, what did you think about that play? It was clearly a pass interference, and I think the NFL has a significant problem on their hands with the quality or lack of quality in general of officiating. But yeah. this is one game that I'm not going to for a nanosecond put on the officials. When you turn the ball over three times in a championship game and lose the turnover differential by that much, you, you could have seven middle schoolers officiating the game, and they're not going <laughs> to cause you to lose it. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about your defensive coordinator, who right now is one of the hotter names, although you know some teams have not been able to speak with him yet as the Seahawks are in that position. They'll talk to him tomorrow. But uh, it, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you just we're all watching in a different way, I think, because he's a possible head coaching candidate for this team. So I'm looking at the first half going, all right, he gave up 17 points. This could be a shootout. And then they shut out the Chiefs in the second half. And I'm going, okay, he made whatever adjustments. I mean, just is that has that been how it's gone this year that maybe they get off to a they have a rough quarter and he adjusts, or what would you sort of cite as his strength? So uh, he, Mike has uh, several strengths. One, he has tremendous rapport with the players. Two, he has tremendous respect from the players. And three, you just touched on it, his ability to adjust to a game plan, adjust the game plan to the situation is remarkable for such a young coach. So many coaches in the NFL are great coordinators from Monday through Saturday. Put together the plan, have everybody in place, do a great job coaching everybody up, and then Sunday, the plan doesn't fit the situation and they don't adjust. Mike is a, is a Sunday through Sunday coordinator, and I've seen him throughout the course of the year make adjustments on the fly, the things they didn't anticipate or something that happens, there's an injury, make an adjustment. And the big picture, Ravens had a lot of injuries. They weren't sure where they were going to get pass rush pressure from, so they pick up Jadavion Clowney off the street, Kyle Van Noy off the street at different points in the season, and Mike McDonald did an unbelievable job of folding them into game plans and building around their strength. He can look at a player and figure out that player's strength almost as fast as anybody I've ever seen. So, this, we're talking about an extraordinarily talented coach who's going to be a head coach in the NFL. He may very well be a head coach by the end of this week. Selfish reasons, I hope not, because we think the world of him in Baltimore, and he is a big part of this Ravens' success. But realistically, I, I think this could be the time for Mike McDonald to become a head coach. 
You know, Jerry, that's something we uh, considered having had Jadavian Clowney here. And, you know, it just seemed like he, he got coached up and he had a, a really special year and wished we'd had that version when, when he was here. But that's what that's what players want, right? They, they want, hey, tell me how to be great. You know, I, I think a lot's put into like, you know, raw raw speeches and things like that, and and those are those are fine as well. But I feel like every professional doesn't know so much need motivation as he does just put me in the best position so I can use my skills. Would you say that that's where where he excels the most? Oh, uh, he, he absolutely he excels in that, and you, you touched on it. Mike has a real good ability for understanding where a guy's strong what his weaknesses are, protect his weaknesses, build the packages around his strengths, and then for veteran players, don't wear them down. Jadavion Clowney was as strong at the end of the season as he was the first week he came to Baltimore. And for a guy who's a 10-year veteran, you don't see that a lot. You see guys wear down who are veteran players. Yeah. Clowney, I, I really enjoyed his perspective on Mike McDonald because – you're a veteran player who's almost as old as the defensive coordinator. A lot of times that creates tension. It wasn't the case at all. Hmm. This was a veteran player who had such respect for how Mike McDonald built his defenses, used his personnel, looked after his players, maximized their impact in games, that over the course of a season what happens with that is guys develop a level of trust for their D.C. And by the end of the season, the defensive coordinator saying, look, I need you to go to the sideline, eat a gallon of ice cream, play a, a crossword puzzle, and recite the Lord's Prayer. Guys will do that believing this is going to make them a better player. And that's what Mike McDonald has developed. The trust level the players have in him is uncanny for such a young coach. As far as his demeanor, what what is that like in terms of being, you know, sort of projecting what kind of leader he'll be? We we heard uh, from a, a Ravens beat writer, he covers them for the for ESPN, Jamison Hemsley, said something along the lines, he's very quiet. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if he's certainly not a, doesn't sound like he's a rah-rah guy, but any, from your perspective, any concerns that he's, he couldn't be that guy that leads the entire team the way you need to? No, I have no concerns about Mike because you know Mike's not an artificial guy. Mike's a genuine guy, and and you know, I would I would not call him a yeller screamer by any stretch. He's not a rah rah guy. Look, you've you've had one of the great motivational coaches of all time in Pete Carroll, and what made Pete Carroll so effective was that's who he is. You know, I have a funny feeling if you go on a fishing trip with Pete Carroll, that, you know he's going to be he's going to be coaching you up. You'll be all pumped up, and <laughs> like by the time you catch the marlin, you'll be like jumping into the sea to bring the marlin into the boat. That's who he is. And, and and players want authentic. Players do not want this guy's a yeller screamer. He's a he's a motivator. Or he's an players want a, a genuine person and a, a consistent person. This is Mike's strength. Mike is the same guy on Tuesday as game day after a win. After a loss, it's a long season, guys. They spend a lot of time together. They don't want somebody who's one coach in front of the media, one coach in front of the team. They want somebody who's authentic in every situation. And Mike McDonald, I would say, is very even keel. He can get he can get as intense as he needs to get, but he's authentic and he's consistent, and those are his strengths. Jerry, I'll tell you what, we came out here and uh, you guys treated us uh, really rudely. Uh, our trip to Baltimore, uh, same thing happened to to the Denver, or I'm sorry, the D- Detroit Lions. And, and then the 49ers. Yeah, you go out to San Francisco and you, you blow their doors off. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, as far as matchups go, 
if if you guys had gone to the Super Bowl, that I feel like you'd have been favorites by by maybe as much as a a touchdown. I mean, you just you just owned certain teams, and it's kind of interesting how you know some of the matchups, and you know, you mentioned Spagnolo and just little things that happen, and you know that. It, you just never think will happen in the NFL, and it's it's always it's always shocking when when something like that happens because we all expected the Ravens to win that game. Look, and when you do see something like that, you have to stop and recognize that we see the outcome on Sunday. But I'm a big believer that a lot of games are won and lost on Tuesday when coaches start to put together the game plan, and there are a lot of really really good coaches in this league. And when when you're surprised on a Sunday. I am a big believer that it is almost always because of somebody's superior work on a Tuesday. Hmm. Have any feeling about this matchup for the Super Bowl? You lean in one way or the other? Honestly, uh, I'm still trying to get over yesterday's game. I, I've seen both <laughs> of these teams. They're they're very different teams, but, God, i, I got to believe it comes down to a last-second field goal or a last-second pass because both of these teams – have this rhythm aspect to them. Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey have a have a almost like a Siamese twin separated at birth type of a connection where they can read each other's minds and they get going and flowing and there's a real rhythm to them that is hard to stop. San Francisco 49ers offense, even though the Ravens blew them out that day, I got glimpses of that offense and realized that if you don't get that offense off the tracks early, boy, it can become a fast-break basketball game, and they can blow your doors in. So I, I, I would be surprised if this wasn't a game in the, in the 30s, high 30s maybe for both teams. But again, that said, do not underestimate the value of these defenses. The 49ers might have the most talented athletic front seven in the NFL, and, the, and we saw it with Kansas City. That that group, their their secondary is as good as you're going to find in the NFL. Their coordinators as good as you're going to find in the NFL. So the one thing I do expect is going to be a tight game. It'll be a one-score game. And as you listen to all this, please do not invest any money in what you're hearing me say. <laughs> because I want to take the Buffalo Bills to win four straight Super Bowls. So just keep that, keep yeah. that caveat in mind. Okay. All right. Now, Jerry, I've been called a psychopath for this, but my <laughs> my theory is that you root for the team that beat you because if they get their doors blown off, then you look really bad. Any chance that you can root for the Chiefs or am I a psychopath? No, no, you're not a psychopath, but yes, the way I look at it is no matter, no matter who wins, you're not getting a ring anyway, so who the hell cares? <laughs> I like that answer. There we go. That was unanticipated. Hey, let, let me ask you this quickly. We were talking about some of the reaction to that game, about Patrick Mahomes, Kelsey, that whole thing, and we, we read some tweets from you know Ryan Clark and Mike Greenberg and Emmanuel Acho, basically all saying that now it's clear that, that, that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest to ever do it. I'm like, he's 28. I'm not debating, you know, he is going to end up one of the all-time greats, but can you say that this early in his career? No. You, you, come on. You, you, when you start saying the greatest of all time, when you start laying, handing out GOAT labels, you got to let a guy have his full career. I mean, you know, Tom yeah. Brady is the GOAT, and he's got the body of work to prove it. Now, can you say that? Patrick Mahomes could one day surpass Tom Brady, as absurd as that sounds. Yes, that could happen. And when it does happen, then you say Patrick Mahomes is the greatest. 
you can make a case that Mahomes is the greatest up at this point at 28 years old. Yeah. But that's a little bit like when you read teams' press releases and they say, since uh, 20, oh, since 2017, we have more uh, sacks on third down and two situations. Like, who cares? Yeah. It's, it's, it's all just carving up facts to suit a, 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 you know, a, an angle that you have. You have to look at every quarterback's full body of work at the end of their career before you start handing out go titles. Jerry, a, well pleasure, said. a pleasure to speak with you. We appreciate it in light of a tough day yesterday and, and uh, on the heels of a tremendous season. Congrats on the season. Obviously, didn't end the way you or anybody out there wanted to, but, man, that was a hell of a team this year. So uh, we really appreciate you taking the time with us. My pleasure. Great talking with you guys. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thank you, too. Good, good luck in head coaching search. If, if you go with Mike McDonald, you're gonna get a, you're gonna get a really good one. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Yeah, I think we all agree. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. There you go, Jerry. Jerry Sandusky, the voice of the Baltimore Ravens. He didn't say keep your filthy mitts off our offensive no. coordinator. He almost said, "Here, take him." No, I'm just kidding. He, uh, nothing but praise. And, and more importantly, the one area I was a little concerned with, only because we kind of harped on it with Cliff Kingsbury, is that. You know, he didn't stand in front of the room. He kind of stood off to the side. He didn't have that leader presence. And then to hear the uh, the Baltimore Ravens beat writer say, "Yeah, he's he's pretty quiet, dude." And thinking, hmm, does that does that work? Is that going to work? Yeah, but, they're, they're, I mean, John will John will get to the bottom. I, I'm sure if it is a problem on any level, John's going to find that out quickly in the interview. Yeah, and everybody does it differently. So you know, it, it, he could still be a quiet guy. I mean, we some of the examples, like you said, Kingsbury. Um, Chuck Knox used to always say, I'm going to talk real soft so you can listen real hard, is what he used to say. So, yeah, I mean, you don't need to, to scream and yell, and you don't need to be a guy. I don't remember spending maybe more than, like, five minutes when Chuck would come in, you know, and then you'd break off into your, your groups and everything. I think the the bigger, if they do hire him, the, the bigger question is going to be, what's his involvement in the defense? You know, if Mike McDonald comes here, is he is he going to just be – the defensive coordinator, I would think he would bring a guy with him that, you know, if you have some guy that you, during the the season that you trust, he gets you, he, you know, he's like your kind of right-hand man, whether it's a linebacker coach or maybe even a, an assistant, um, yeah, bring a guy like that along and that that will at least take some of the burden off of him. But I feel like I want to see this guy call defenses. You know, that's why earlier I was saying... And you feel that about Johnson too, right? If he becomes yeah. the... Hey, Absolutely. coach, you want them calling the offense? You bet. Yeah, I want them putting their stamp. Like we were saying earlier, maybe the the best uh, the best deal is to get DQ as your head coach and then these two guys, Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald, as your coordinators. That would be the perfect world. Well, if we're going to get greedy, absolutely. At least from the outside, right? I mean, yeah. on the inside, it's like, oh, this guy doesn't fit with that guy or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's just I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe Wednesday. I mean, that. John's flying today to Detroit, Detroit, and then Baltimore the next day, and then. I you don't think know. it'll be just one conversation with Mike? Yeah, maybe he goes back there on Wednesday, and we get it on Thursday. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. man. It's it, uh, if you've gone this far, you know. Well, I don't think they're in any kind of a hurry right now. Well, do you think there's any sense of? I wonder if just in the inner circles, like, do they know Washington's leaning this way? They they like this guy more. Like, I wonder yeah. if they're hearing that and. What if they like the same guy? Do they feel pressure? Well, we got to get pen to paper right now. Or yeah. I'm wondering how they're viewing the the competition with Washington, if there is for their preferred candidate. Yeah. 
Well, and I know, like for Raheem Morris, he he was very interested, but we talked to him twice. Yeah, but Atlanta was like, "Hey, look, we know what we want. We want you." And so, what's he going to do? Sit around and and wait? I mean, I I totally understand that. So, yeah, it's uh, I don't know. To me, this is uh, I, I think that this might go even further than we think. Is you mean maybe in terms maybe of how Thursday, long? Friday? I don't know. Oh. I don't know that it's going to be immediate. With that said, there'll be breaking news right now. Oh, and the other the other part is I w- I'm wondering if John feels any urgency to get their guy so that they can hire the coordinators that they want. Yeah. And I, I don't know what the competition level is for these guys that are out there, who these particular coaches would want. Is this is I got to have this guy as my defensive coordinator or this guy has got to be my OC or what, it, you know, how they're viewing that. What, what kind of urgency are they placing on building that staff out? Because... You know, the longer they wait, the more these other guys are going to find jobs. You know, maybe maybe they wanted to keep Clint hurt here. Or something. Maybe one of them wanted Clint to stay or something, but now he's moving on. And Was it was it uh, Clint? Was he Eagles? Eagles. Yeah, him yeah. and, and uh, Carl Scott. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and not saying they, maybe they had no attachment to anybody on the staff and it'll be completely new head to toe. We'll, we'll all find out together. But just that's, that's the one side story i guess outside of the, who's the head coach all right well who's their staff who's do they have full access to all these guys right now or are they getting snapped up by other teams as we're waiting for the seahawks to make their announcement yeah so we'll see we'll see but uh yeah it's going to be still sort of surreal that there's going to be a new head coach and there's going to be a new person standing at that podium after after games i'm so used to just seeing pete come out and do his pete thing and there's going to be a new face new voice new demeanor up there Pretty crazy. All right. Our thanks to Jerry Sandusky, voice of the Baltimore Ravens. If you guys missed any of that conversation, it will be on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Just click the podcast tab. Click on our picture and click on the uh, subscribe button. Push the subscribe or Matt. Push. I don't think Dave I, likes this joke. No, I don't, I don't have any attachment to it whatsoever. I just I don't like that he looks about. right at you. Push. That's that? just how I, I'm imagining you <laughs> literally pushing your finger onto a non-touch screen. You think I do it really slowly? <laughs> like most things. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> now that we got that going, it cracks me up. It was the biggest debate coming out of, one of, us. out of yesterday's conference title games. We're going to weigh in on that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports. We touched on this earlier, Dave, with Seth Walder, who's the analytics writer for ESPN. Got into the uh, fourth down calls of Dan Campbell. He's taken a beating. In fact, somebody on my uh, Twitter page said, he needs to be fired immediately. Okay. Good night. <laughs> Jeez. Now, let me ask you this before we get into some of the sound here. Is it, we all praise Dan Campbell, everybody, not just us, but everybody praised his go for it attitude, his his aggressiveness, his, he just is steadfast in what he does and what he believes in his philosophy. And it got him to the NFC title game. Is it a reasonable expectation to go, well, this is what he's done every opportunity all season long, but now he should do something different. Now he should show less faith. I understand the you know the score of the game and what's on the line and all that, but that's how they got there, and that's what he received all this praise for. But because it didn't work in these two instances in this game, 
And I'm not saying he shouldn't have settled for the field goal, but this is who he's been. So is it reasonable to go, well, why didn't you just do something completely different than you normally do? Yeah, why? Why would you do that? And I don't know if somebody has the number of times that it led to wins for them, right? Yeah. Um, so When Seth told us he was the best in the league on fourth down. Yeah, exactly. He, and then they ran a fourth down touchdown that they scored from the three-yard line, right? Was that, on, was that on fourth? I, I thought so. But I can't remember wrong about that. But um, yeah, so uh, he here, here's what it's like to me um, when you get in prevent defense. Like uh, this is for us anyway, and I don't know how teams practice and everything now. But we would probably spend ten minutes at the end on Friday. You would do like goal line and short yardage, and then you know all these situations, right? And so you know you'd work on your little prevent defense five minutes maybe. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's not what you do normally. And then also, you know, if you have a good defense, it's there for a reason. Uh, it's not because you sat back and let everybody, you know, complete passes underneath you. And that's that's where I think the, the biggest crime is with prevent defense is that people don't, uh, teams don't practice it enough. They don't, they don't have enough time. It's not like you're, you're running your defense, you know, every day during the week except for Tuesday and you know that's really who you are and that's what you do in games so why would you go to something that you don't normally do they've done the fourth down I mean these are just plays right I mean it's not like you know you have to run through an extra guy yeah you know so um no I mean look that's what got him there and you know the thing is also nobody ever talks about that nobody ever goes back and looks at man look at all the fourth downs that he went for it and got it it's only if you don't get it and yeah I don't I think that if if he would have just kicked field goals because I, I wrote down somewhere I think where they were in the 40s right the ones that they passed up when they went to to fourth down the 40 the field goal attempts yeah they would have been yeah, I think 40-some yards. One was like a 44, and the other one was like a 46. Something, something like that, that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, 45-yarder and a 47-yarder is what, what yeah. I have anyway. So, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like if you'd have gone down that path, you still would have gotten beaten. Um, in, in the moment, were you going, hey, what are you doing? Take the three? Or would, do you remember how you were feeling in the moment? No, I was like, you should do your thing. You know, and that's, that's what Dan Campbell did. And, and, and to your point... If they convert on one or two, people going, oh, that Dan Campbell, tell you what, man, fun watching him coach. Look at what they do. You know, biggest game of his life, and he, he sticks with who he is, and that's what you do. Yeah. You, you're you a coach with a philosophy and a, and a belief. You stick with it. And see, it paid off for him. I mean, it's just, you're right. If it works, you're, you're a genius. If it doesn't work, what in the hell were you thinking you should be fired? Yeah, it's too bad that they didn't, you know, somebody didn't keep track and, Obviously, I'm not on Twitter having that kind of battle or whatever, but I mean, there's a whole, I'm sure, list. I mean, I don't know how many times on average they went for it on fourth down and, you know, how many times, but we heard from our stats guy that uh, that he's one, one of the best. Yep. Yep. So, and yeah, to me, I mean, I, I just think when you get away from doing what you do, what got you there, that's when you start to make... That's when you see people like clinching up in the playoffs. It's like, oh God, what what do we do? If this is a playoff game, we can't we can't do this. Just do what you do. Yeah, and that's exactly what Dan Campbell did, and I totally respect him for that. Well, here here's Dan Campbell after the game explaining why he went for it on fourth down twice in the second half. I just felt really good about us converting and uh, getting our momentum and not letting them play long ball. You know, they were bleeding the clock out. That's what they do. And I wanted to get the upper hand back. And 
it's easy hindsight, and I get it, you know, I get that. But I don't regret those decisions, and that's hard because, you know, they didn't, we didn't come through. We wasn't able to, to work out, but I just, I don't. And I understand the scrutiny I'll get. That's part of the gig, man. But it just didn't work out. I love that. I love that explanation. That's probably one of the best answers I've heard. Like, I get it. I get the scrutiny, you know, but I wouldn't do it differently. And he said, it's hard. It is. It's hard to go out and be on the edge like that. I mean, the safe thing would be to, okay, well, let's just kick the field goal. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they miss one one or two of those field goals. And, you know, um, then what would people say? Oh, the, the kicker sucks. Yeah. Right? Why'd you trust your kicker? You knew he was no good. Yeah. But I mean, look, here's a guy. And also, if you're on that team, nobody, everybody is thinking this guy is, he bet on us. And, and that's, that's what inspires people. And he, he bet on, on you. If, if he had not done that, if, and they had missed a kick, I think his players would feel worse about him. They'd be like, yeah, how, how come we didn't do what we did all year long? So, yeah, I mean, all for, of a sudden you lose, you lose faith in us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he bet on his guys, and I, I think they'll appreciate that. And obviously, it's not going to be the same group next year, but the core of it, they're going to be Dan Campbell, you know, fans for the rest of their careers. Well, and it, it man, they it just looked like they were in a position to almost run away with it. They got off to such a quick start, and it felt like. Everything changed with that IU catch that bounced off the uh, face mask of the Lions defender. Here's Birdie with a lot of time. Steps into one. Watching deep. Going for Brandon Ayuk. It is. Oh, he caught it off the ricochet. Penalty. Is he in? He's down to the five. We'll see what the penalty is. I'll tell you what. This is, about his, this is the best play they've made all day. And oh, Man, Kendall Vendor, he had one. It hit him right in the face mask. <laughs> so I guess it doesn't only happen to Jamal Adams. Happened in, a, in one of the biggest moments in this guy's career. Bounced off his face mask into the waiting arms of of Ayuk, who caught the ball, and it was like that moment just seemed to just it was a it was a switch that got flipped. That's when you knew, like, oh boy, you know, and what a catch by him because the concentration for him to lay out and still be able to catch that ball. You're like, oh, boy. Yep. But by the way, Jamal Adams made up for it with that one header he had that ended up being a pick, and yep. one, that ended up winning us the Cleveland game. He's that good so. <laughs> that he was able to do that intentionally. But you brought this up earlier, Brandon Ayuk explaining the good luck he had before the game. How about the fact you didn't give up on the ball after it hit the face in the, the helmet of the cornerback with the Lions? Tell us all about that catch. Before the game, a ladybug landed on my shoe. Hey, y'all know what that means. So that's all I can say, because now I don't know. I don't know. Just great luck. God was with us today. Great win. Bang, bang, not her game. It's crazy. Did you hear her in the background going, come on. Yeah, I heard her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come on with the ladybug. You think that's true? I think people are going to get to the bottom of it. That a ladybug landed on his yeah, shoe? Yeah, do you think he just made that up? I don't know. <laughs> if so, I say he's pretty clever. I just like that she's back. You hear her off mic. Come on. <laughs> that was He went with it. I mean, I'm telling you that that play you, you just feel it, you know? It's it's hard. It's not a tangible thing, but you just felt like, "Oh boy." And then they punch it in after that and you're like, "This is where it turns. This is where Didn't it he, turns." Did he not catch the touchdown that on that drive? I think he did. Did he catch it or did yes. McCaffrey? Oh, it yeah, went to him? The okay, yeah. yeah. So that was quite a series for Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, you were paying close attention, Mike, because Mike picked him. And picks paid off. That was, that was part <laughs> of it. If only those went for anything.
yeah. like Kraken tickets, and I'd make Matt go to the game. You'd make him be your guest? I'd make Matt go. Drag him no, to the no, game. No. He's, he'd be like that petulant little kid in the car. I don't want to go to Grandma's house. I will say, Kyle Juszczyk thought of our guy Matt Nelson here when he had that tiptoe catch. Yeah. And I know you were watching too, Matt. I did it. I, I knew it. I he made a couple it. of good catches. Yeah. He had a couple of big catches out there. Of course there. he did. I picked him. <laughs> Why did you pick him again? His screwy name? The he had spelling? a fun name. A fun name. Fun name. Yeah. It's fun <laughs> until you try to spell it. Yeah. Yeah. But, good luck with that. Nothing will ever beat, well, Buffalo because, well, wings, of course. The wings. That's the best. All right. Coming up, Dan Campbell had an honest and perhaps somewhat depressing message for his team after the loss. We'll hear about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial. Every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. Now you guys might remember that after uh, the Patriots lost the Giants in the Super Bowl, the second loss, uh, Giselle famously said, my husband cannot bleep, throw and catch the ball at the same time. Well, <laughs> despite her saying that, uh, Lamar Jackson proceeded to do that yesterday. Shotgun, Jackson, snap, that ball batted in the air, up for grabs, and it's caught by Jackson! First down! Insane! Lamar Jackson! Off the deflection, ends up in the right spot for 13 yards. What a heads-up play, to say the very least, right? You, what's interesting is they showed in slow motion the replay, and you see everybody else kind of just looking around like nobody can find the ball. He's got the perfect angle on it, obviously. He's watching it leave his hands, and everybody else is like, where the hell is it? Yeah, and the chief defender was like, you know, kind of looking at it going, oh, yeah, I'm going to get myself an interception here. Lamar cuts right in front of him. I mean... He had that play, and then the one that he spun out of, and I can't remember if he threw a touchdown or not. That was ridiculous. I mean, he is, and you know what's funny is they showed an exact play. I mean, it was almost the exact same play against Jacksonville where he had done that before. It was the same as far as ducking the guy, and uh, it was just, just fantastic. And, you know, that's kind of what Dave Craig did when he avoided the, was it the sixth sack? I think it was seven. By Derek Thomas or seven. I think it was number seven. Yeah, he just kind of bent, you know, bent down and guy went flying over the top of him. But um, it's Paul Scancy in the back of the end zone. Yeah. I, you know what? I don't know if I've told you this story, but I was on the field goal block team, you know, and the field goal team. And I was like the, the guy on the edge that turns kind of at a 45 and can't remember the guy's name, but he had blocked like three kicks that year. And I'm thinking, if that dude blocks this thing, I, I'm, I'll, my name will be Mud in Seattle. <laughs> and so I was so nervous and ready to go, and he didn't even rush. <laughs> You're like, but, you were scared of me. He didn't but, want it to. Yeah, I mean, on the heels of Dave Craig making the greatest play ever, and then I blow the, the block there, I was like, there's no way that's happening. By the way, Purdy did the same thing in his game, where he guy went over the top, and he Kind of ducked and spun out. He can't do that. He's not very athletic. He's not an athlete. He, he looked pretty athletic yesterday. Sweeping the dial. Oh, we know Dan Campbell always keeps it real. We heard him uh, talk about the fourth down conversions, explaining that he knows he'll get the recourse for that. But then after the game, he also kind of laid a hard and maybe bitter truth to his team. And it's a lesson learned. And look, I told those guys, this may have been always shot. Do I think that? No. Do I believe that? No. However, I, I know how hard it is to get here. I, I'm well aware. And it'll be, 
it's going to be twice as hard to get back to this point next year than it was this year. That's that's the reality. And if we don't have the same hunger and the same work, which is a whole nother thing, once we get the offseason, um, then we got no shot of getting back here. I don't care how much better we get or what we add or what we drive. It's irrelevant. Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be interesting because now they go into a season with a different level of expectation than they have in maybe decades. Right? I mean, if you're yeah. if you're a Lions fan, aren't you expecting as long as you got the core back? Yeah, the team changes every year, different pieces. Some leave, some you bring in more. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how the Lions handle expectation because they really haven't had to deal with that. No, that's a good point. You might have some entitled fans there. <laughs> Up of one year. Yeah. <laughs> we should be here every year. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I th- I feel like if it's all things equal, like free agents are going to want to play for him. Um, I don't know. I, I It just seems like he's the most well-liked coach. Maybe not. I don't know. But uh, I feel like, like I said, you know, that's what you know about going for it on fourth down, that he believes in his guys. Not only his offense, but his defense as well. So, yeah, it, uh, it's so disappointing. It was going to, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Obviously, it could have ended with a, a Super Bowl championship for the Lions, but come on, man. I mean, they've they've come a long ways in the last few years. Sweeping the dial. If you remember on Friday, we heard from Kyle Shanahan being well aware that uh, the Lions' aggressiveness could swing a game one way or the other. So that kind of happened with the fourth down conversions. But uh, Shanahan, after the game, says he didn't disagree, especially because, you know, that's the Campbell that has gotten them there. That's how they've done it most of the year, and I think that's one of the reasons why they were here. So, like, you win a lot of games making some of those decisions, and then you make some decisions and you lose them. I mean, I don't think it always comes down to that. There's lots of plays that happen in the game, but, I mean, that's the decision that we all have to make, and it doesn't surprise me because he's made a lot of those decisions throughout the year that have won them a lot of games also. Yeah, I, I don't... I don't take that as him just, you know, having my fellow coaches back or anything like that. He's right. I mean, he's saying what we said earlier. That's that's who he's been all year. It's a large part of the reason you got to that point where you were, you know, a quarter away, a quarter and a half away from going to the Super Bowl for the first time in the history of that organization. So, you know, the idea that he should have just reversed course against and go against everything he's been and his philosophy just doesn't seem realistic. I know it's easy to say now because it didn't work. Yeah. A uh, little interesting note here. I was just looking at his career stats and wasn't sure if I believed it because it was Wikipedia. Uh, as a player, so he played from uh, he played for 10 years, basically. He had 91 catches and 11 touchdowns. How many teams did he play for? Uh, played for the Giants, Dallas, and Detroit. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, he was he was a pretty good player. Do you remember him as a player? I, I don't. Really. I don't really. What, no. what, what was his tenure? Was it ninety nine through two thousand eight? Hmm. So I'm sure we watched a lot of games where he was out there on the field. But twenty five years altogether for him, and yeah, I was like, wow. Every every about ten catches, he uh, he scores a touchdown. He's. I, I don't know if I've had a bigger change of heart or perception. I'll say that perception about a coach than I've had with him because I think we all. Everybody heard that first press conference. We all joked like, well, who is this goofball talking about? We're going to get knocked down. We're going to get up again. We're going to get knocked down. We're going to bite your kneecaps. We're going to bite the... It was like, huh? The hell is this guy talking about? Like, all right, this sounds like he's perfect for Detroit. They lose all the time and you got this goofball in there. 
And the more you were exposed to him, the more you heard him speak, seeing him on hard knocks and everything, just completely changed my perception. I think the perception of a lot of people out there about who he is and, and more importantly, seeing how his players respond to him. Yeah. Well, and yeah, especially the hard knocks thing where I'll never forget that when he made his team go full pads, full contact, and he was like almost apologizing to him at the end, but he's like, we have to have this, have to have it. So, um, yeah, I think he, he's going to be a good coach in the NFL for a long time. How old is he? Is he like 40s? Yeah, 47 40. years old. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's got a lot of time left and I, I can't wait to see where he goes. Sweeping the dial is powered by Seattle University men's basketball. Coming up, did the Lions and Ravens choke, or do the Chiefs and 49ers deserve most of the credit? We're going to get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.